the special Progress of the Unity podcast. We have guests in this evening, Darren Royal and Jonathan Jackson, the Executive Chairman and the Chief Executive of Wigan Athletic. They join us in the studio for a chat about the present, the near future, the long-term strategy and aims for the club. Welcome to the uh, Progress with the Initial Podcast. With two, as mentioned on the intro, with two special guests this evening in the uh, in the studio with us. Uh, Starts off with Chief Executive Mr. Jonathan Jackson. Hello, Barry. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And the new Executive Chairman. That's a fancy title, Darren Thanks. Royal. Thanks, Barry. Mm. Thanks for the invite. No problem. Uh, so we've we've got a range of questions we'd like to ask and discuss with you and things to talk about and obviously it works both ways if you want to ask us anything to support us uh, we'll be open and honest won't we mm-hmm. uh, so first of all Darren uh, gives, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself because uh, although your dad is well known to a lot of people um, you know you're, you're not as well known you played for England, didn't you? Who did you play for? Was it was it Doncaster? I wish I did. No, right. <laughs> no, my my background. I I, I was a youth team player. Um, followed the old YTS route, um, and being frank, wasn't good enough at the age of eighteen to be be a pro. So I went down the semi-pro route and have played all my life. Love football, obviously been around it all my life, um, but worked at the same time and had a great career in, in business, in pharmaceuticals, working for the number one drug company in the world at the time, Merck, and, and learned a lot about business. And then had a, had a career change over 10 years ago now, went back into football business because football's evolved, obviously, as you, you guys have seen. Um, and during that time I've worked across the commercial aspects of football I've worked across the analysis analytics side, the performance side where some of my education I did sports science when there wasn't any sports scientists about and exercise and nutrition <clears throat> before nutrition became really really big so I got to apply some of the the knowledge albeit it was out of date then, it was 20 years old um, worked with uh, Prozone, who were innovators in in performance analysis at the time, and obviously they're now stats. And then uh, during that time, I met one of the guys um, who knows IEC, and, and we uh, at Prozone we we built what we believe might be proven wrong, but we believe was the the world's first live match centre for the FIFA World Cup 2010, and that was broadcast in China. So that's really where my relationship began um, with one of the chaps and he was he actually went to Liverpool Uni where I went and, we, and we'd known each other from there. And then across the years um, I worked in another analysis, sports analysis company in Norway um, that's, that's more of a research company now, doing some really interesting stuff around um, analysis. Um, and also worked with, with commercial rights with some of the bigger clubs in Europe as well. So that was that was the business side of it. I've also um, been involved heavily with, with I say grassroots, it's a semi-pro game, um, developing full-time academies 
for late developers as we call them um, but it's basically lads that haven't been picked up by league clubs um, and I've been involved in that for the last three or four years to try and find the next Vardy, Craig Dawson, Malassi, which, um, which has been really exciting. Ian Wright as well. There's, I mean if we sit around the table yeah. we could probably come up with about 20 couldn't we? Yeah. And, um, so, but that's been really really interesting, really rewarding. It's allowed me also to peek in and, and look at the EPPP um, and some of the fantastic work that uh, Jonathan and the guys at the academy are doing now. I think we're reaping the rewards of it. So um, that's me in a nutshell. Um, ask away anything else. So how, how did the uh, IEC group become aware of the Latix possibility of us being up for sale and, and what was the connection, what, what attracted them to the club? Do you, do you know any of that? Uh, well, the, they first became aware of it through me, um, and it was I think Gary Cook had been brought in, hadn't he, to to try and help find a new owner. And obviously, I go back to um, Man City days with Gary Cook and know him well. Um, and, and obviously, Gary was was involved there. So we spoke about uh, something else about the role of a sporting director. Actually, it was over a coffee, and Gary had been mandated by the club and Mr. Whelan at the time to to, to uh, look for a new owner I'd already known the guys in, in China for a long time uh, in Hong Kong and um, you know knew what they were interested in and when when a new Wigan was available with the history and the legacy um, it, it was it was a no-brainer to ask them and it, it was pretty much um, an immediate answer that they were interested yeah so you know, they. I think you might see Melvin do an interview, and he was. Yeah. Um, he's he's basically spelled out you know why it was important to them as well with a, a really well run um, club that was was owned by a family and made a great great legacy for the club moving forwards, which he has. Mm. I think that's rings um, true as well because someone spoke to Mr. Whelan, who I know um, last week. He said from right from the get go. When he spoke to IEC, that's the way they wanted to go, and that's where they wanted the club to go into. So it is, you know, it's good to have that kind of solid foundation right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. So when would that have been? Because obviously, it's been roughly 12 months between it being announced and it being completed. So how, how far further back would, would that go? And then probably around about two years, not far off. It's certainly 18 months when yeah. discussions first mm. took place. We didn't we didn't go into it certainly thinking it would take so long and and. Part of it is, has been it's been historical, hasn't it? Because it is the first PLC takeover of a club. Obviously, clubs have been bought and turned into PLCs, but certainly it was. I remember back to December last year, we were anticipating um, quite a quite a straightforward, albeit um, detailed due diligence, and it escalated in time because of the nature of the PLC and the requirements. I think that does us as fans, you know, it makes us feel a bit better that the due diligence has been done because then the day it's our club, isn't it? You know, we've been there before, we might be there long after IEC are there and you want to make sure that club's going to be there and it's going to be in a good position. So having all that work done prior to it is reassuring for us. And it has taken it I mean we tried breaking it what, twelve months ago, didn't we? We thought it was going to be happening a couple of weeks after but yeah, it's got to be said as well. Though it's been very difficult for Jonathan and and the, and the staff at the club because you know it's it's uncertainty as well, and people are doing the day jobs as well as trying to 
obviously do all the work for that. So I think everyone's come through it with flying colours, and made, I think everyone's a bit stronger as a result of it. Yeah, I think the good thing is that it didn't affect anything on the pitch because we've had one of our most successful yeah. seasons at the football club, yeah. certainly at, at League One level, anyway. Uh, despite what's been going on off the pitch, and it's been quite frustrating for the club to, not to be able to explain to the supporters because I've seen the speculation, I've seen all the all the questions and uh, and, and uh, frustration from the fans. But it's one of those things where you know we had to do what we had to do in, in line with legislation, in line with everything that had to happen, uh, and we finally got there uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, I think one of the good things to come out of it as well with the takeover is the fact that, like the department said, department heads have stayed in, in place, like Jonathan and you got to, to Tom Flower and the community and all the rest of them, they're, they're all still there. Because sometimes it, a, a new brush comes in and sweeps, doesn't it? You know, sweeps clean. Uh, and you can lose some of your identity then. Where I think that you know the club inside out, you know what we're about, and to see you still in that seat as Chief Executive is, for me is, is fantastic because you understand everything about us it's great for me as well mm. well obviously <laughs> yeah. I mean was there any, ever any doubt that you'd be keeping them or was it something that you that as, as time went by that it was obvious that you had to keep them in place or was it was it not oh yeah, the think, structure of it I think they've gone on record saying that um, <coughs> it's really important to appoint their own local operators as they called it which you know my dad's gone onto the board as well with his football experience which hopefully you know yourselves you find reassuring because at a board level it's good to have somebody with all that experience um, so it's been quite the opposite not to not to um, take people away from the board but to add to that and try yeah. and add, add to the experience I think the thing we've done as well the, the, a good point is, is the time spent at Oldham yeah. which is a similar size club to us Going back, isn't it? You know, they uh, leave and share, share a name with us, don't they? With the Latics, the Athletic. <laughs> and I think he'll understand that, that side of it, the supporters' side, the fact that we, we've not got 45,000 coming in every week and, and we have to look at it slightly differently, don't we, than, than like, your, like your big clubs, your forests and your drivers, you just pack people in. It's slightly different with us. Well, Oldham was another one for, for a long period of time to punch in above its weight, wasn't it? Obviously, in the Premier League, and you know, they. They could have been us in the sense that they were one kick away from pretty much winning, getting to an FA Cup final. Good memory. Who doesn't want to remind you of that? <laughs> but uh, in, that, in that sense, I think you can kind of appreciate the journey where we've, where we've come from. And obviously, it seems to me now everything, all the positivity is there and we're, we're kind of on our way back. And it's a great, it seems like a great feeling, a great atmosphere around, around the club. And I'm sure you're picking up on that as well yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing that you can't buy and put value on is momentum and confidence. And, um, you know, it's a great time to obviously take over a club and buy it when they're promoted. Yeah. And the way we started the season as well. Not the last seven games. <laughs> the way we started, we started. Does that, does that have any bearing on the, the negotiations, or, or would a price have been agreed at like eighteen months ago, and then you go from there? I think the the the, the, uh, con the context I I take around the the last few games is the levels of performance, and no one, even even at Preston, you look at the context, and you know nobody's really uh, beaten. Wigan Athletic badly. They haven't, the levels of performance have been great across the year, and 
what we don't want to be is a would have, could have, should have, because personally I think luck plays a part as well. And there could have been nine more points away from home easily, like the one kick you talked about there. Yeah. And um, that's football, isn't it? Yeah. It's mm. it's um, highly unpredictable and volatile games to try. Plus, and we've got play. the injuries as well. I mean, I think everybody realises with Greg Massey the way he started, Jacobs being out, <coughs> Nick Pell's had a couple of injuries as well. They're massive players for us, and, yeah. and for them to be missing is, is, and they come at the wrong time, didn't they? As well as we went into that run and, and we started losing. So that that's where you've come from. So what's the immediate aim? What what, what what's the now with it? You know, you take over. Uh, we've got the first game at home against Reading on, on Saturday. Is it going to be a bit of a fanfare or? I think you've got to go back to your first question. You've got to um, step away from individual results and also the volatility of the league because four weeks ago you know the league position was different to where it is now but the level of performance hasn't changed that much so I think stabilising the club in, in the championship building the squad um, and that's something that Paul Cook's done extremely well wherever he's been he's developed players um, he, you know he, he hasn't gone and um, changed teams disruptively is it's it's been incremental change rather than disruptive change, and um, that's certainly the you know the objective to try and stabilise the club as high up as possible in the championship this year. I don't really even anything else to say. But. Yeah, I think we we all know how difficult the championship is. You almost have to look at the teams around us, and it's uh, we've had four seasons of promotion, relegation, promotion, relegation, and, and it's and it's all about making sure that we're stabilising the championship and then building slowly as, as Dan says and I think that's that's the right way to do things. The, the volatility, sorry, the volatility of the championship, like you said, there's a lot of big teams in there and losing Jacobs, Grigg and Massey all at the same time has not really boarded well for us, has it? But hopefully, the thing is, the volatility of the championship, you know, decent run away from suddenly being on the, on the brink, aren't you? We saw that last season with Fulham, um, and, and clubs have done that in the past. I think it's it's easy to put a you know a run of games together, move very very quickly up the yeah. league. Um, I think it's it's really interesting because last season we hardly had one injury in the whole season, and, and you think back to the se the season, the squad was very settled, the team was very settled. You could almost name Moore's team on, on every Saturday. It was was very. Very, uh, uh, the very few changes that he made this season has been totally opposite. We've had so many injuries, and, and, I, and I guess you know it averages it's, itself out. Um, but these are the things that you have to deal with in football, and, and uh, it's been a challenge. But that's 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 you know that's why we employ a manager like Paul Cook because he's uh, he's able to to accept these challenges and 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 still get the performances out of the team that that we've we've seen. Mm. Uh, obviously the transfer window opens in uh, six weeks and everybody will be sort of excited about who we're going to bring players in and, and, and the like. But for me, one of the big uh, issues is, is tying people down to contracts and they're ready to run out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Here we go, get the elephants out. Well, this <laughs> Nick Powell for a start. There's Sam Morsi out in summer as well, so there's, there's two big players for us that are coming. Um, so what will be the priority? Getting the contracts done all looking to bring um, people into strength of the squad, do you think? Or both? <laughs> it, 
partly depends on what's happening at the time with injuries and where we are. I think football business is like no other business in terms of the short term business cycle you're in and you have to readjust your objectives based on where you are. Um, the, the players who are out of contract are, you know, are great players and key players and obviously everyone needs to try their best so everyone's happy. Um, but it's got to be done in the best interest of the, of the business. Yeah, so... Uh, and it's not something that you just forget about and then all of a sudden think about no, no, when yeah. you they're coming when the players are coming to the last six months of the contract. It's something that you're constantly reviewing and you're looking at when contracts come to an end, which players are out of contract at the end of this season and the following season, and you're engaging with those players and those players' agents all the time. So it's, it is a, a continuous process. So and and so you, you will understand that that process is continuing and, and whatever is right for the football club that's what we'll endeavour to do. Just just on that, um, as a, I guess a general question about f- football business really because obviously all clubs are, or good prudent clubs will have long term planning. Um, is it just kind of, is it just like a game of cat and mouse or poker of who blinks first and wh- why a, lots and lots of the business gets done kind of on on the last day, you know, is it like sort of knock on effects? You're talking about trans- transfers. Transfers, yeah, transfers, yeah. It, it is like a game of poker. Um, the transfer window was moved from the 31st of August this season to, to the 8th, yeah. um, in line with the Premier League. And all that happens is everyone made the decisions earlier rather than leaving it to, to the end of the month. Everyone did it on the 8th of, of the month. Uh, it, it's, hu- it's human nature, really. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a trading place where you're trying to agree to, if you're trying to buy players, you've got to agree a fee with the, the club and then you've got to uh, agree uh, contractual terms with the player's agent uh, and you've got to have a willing buyer, a willing seller and a player willing to, to make that transfer happen as well and, and those things can take a long time because the players want to keep their, op- their options open as much as possible and the players want to, the, the clubs want to hold out for the best deal possible so it ends up where you have to make a decision on that deadline and, and that's when it, it gets it, it's ridiculous but that's the way yes. the world works with Danny Mann Lee Evans was that oh, agreed was, was, it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was that agreed uh, but it was just late going through so that'll be rubber stamped on the 1st of January is that how that one works the loan and yeah it, it, that, that was um, that was a deal that was done on the last day of same as Max Powell is he yeah and, and because this year was the first year that there was a, almost a soft transfer deadline because you had the permanent uh, deadline and then the loan uh, deadline was extended to the 31st of August. You almost had two goals, that's it. So for one reason or another, those two transfers didn't get done by the five o'clock deadline. However, we were able to, to convert them into loans uh, which have an option to to become permanent so on the first of January, rather, rather than a a deal already in place that, that just the, wants the, ratified the F- on the day. The EFL um, advised us that you couldn't you couldn't agree a loan with a with a definite permanent transfer, but in effect, that's what they are. But right. the paperwork will say it's a loan with an option to buy. Right. So is there, a, is there a lot of excitement going going forward to this Saturday? A lot of excitement around the group and, and yourselves for uh, for Saturday's first game. You know, it's a, a new era, the start of a new journey for Wigan Athletic. What's what's the feeling like within your camp and going forward to three o'clock Saturday? My camp in terms of yourself, IEC, and 
and well, it's Wigan Athletic now. Well, yeah, <laughs> Wigan Athletic. Yeah. It's very important, you know. It's Wigan Athletic, and um, it's about focusing, win more games, win games. Um, that's the focus, and Paul's focus, isn't it? Very much. He's he's totally focused on that. So whether it's Reading or whoever else, back then it's it's about focusing on on yeah. winning games. Will they be on the pitch then? The new owners? No. No, so, so they won't be. We'll be, we'll be um, cutting some birthday cake for Mr. Whelan as well. Ah, right, yeah. It's his birthday. 82. One, is it? 82. Two, I think. <coughs> what does he like? It's his birthday. <laughs> 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 Do you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll, I'm sure he'll have a good birthday and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get three points as well. Yeah. I was that's reading pleasant. about talking to Mr. Whelan that he's going to be made life president. Is that something that's going to happen? He was already life president. Was it? So yes. obviously it is. So that's <laughs> life president. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that was on the official website. That. Somebody else must have done that. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, you, the the, the Whelan family, the, the the legacy of the last twenty, the, 20, the last twenty three years, uh, will live on for for, for many many years and. Uh, you know, I can't speak for IEC, but I'm sure that the, the, the you know they will honour Mr. Whelan as, as life president uh, because he, he was so important to this football club, uh, and uh, I think the success we've had over the last 23 years, we you know we've celebrated it over the last few weeks because it, it has been remarkable what we've achieved, and, and hopefully we can we can take that forward into the future now. I think you could safely say we wouldn't be sat here as Wigan Athletic without Mr Whelan, would we? We, we wouldn't, and everyone acknowledges that. Yeah. It's, he's, he's, he's been very successful in everything he's done, and certainly when he took over Wigan in 1995, you can, you can absolutely confirm that his success yeah. that he's had at Wigan Athletic has been remarkable. So, uh, have you come in with the same aim then as uh, Mr Whelan did, to get the club back in the Premier League? Got to be. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'll give yourself some sort of uh, time to do it in, season two, season three. I think that's got to be down to Paul as well, hasn't it? To, to look at that as the expert in terms of building the team. Um, it's, it's got to be done in a, in a sensible way. Sustainable? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's promising to us yeah. as fans, isn't it? Well, like when you were talking way. before about the academy, I mean, uh, you know, the investment, like you said, there's burning fruits already. I mean, Joe Gelder, you, you Told us to go up in last year, I remember. Again, he was getting Sackrington. Was it Sackrington? was told me. Sackrington in the checker trade. Yeah. Yeah. He said if he comes on, just watch him. And when he came on, he was absolutely out of this world. That, that yeah, he, I think he came on for the last five or ten minutes. Yeah. And then he made, he, uh, uh, he made another appearance against uh, Rotherham this year. Yeah, in I was the, there then, yeah. In the Carabao Cup. Jensen uh, Weir as well, in there. Jensen Weir. Yeah. Um, uh, Cal Joseph, who's, who's recently been called up for Scotland. Yeah. Uh, and Luke Robinson, who's been called up for Scotland as well. We've got four internationals at, at that level, at under 16s, um, under sorry, under 17s, which uh, for for our academy is unheard of, uh, and they're all very, very exciting prospects. Yeah, especially you know Gelder and the way he's playing. Yeah, he can't hold it. And even the older <coughs> youngsters, if you know what I mean, like Lang, you know, you've seen the goals flying in for, for Oldham that's you know, really promising the, the challenge is for us and for every football club is to, is to get those players from the academy from that level under 17s into the first team and it's a challenge for everybody whether, whether you're Chelsea and Arsenal or, or Wigan Athletic 
it's it's making sure that there's a pathway for them to, to break into the first team and we've got to try and create that so that th th those prospects become first team players for Wigan Athletic. So are we looking to up, upgrade the academy then? Is that something that's going to be uh, any, you know, a, a project? Christopher Park? Yeah, I think I think the, we've as an academy we've suffered because we've we've been in a, a category three academy uh, um, and we've we've operated as a as a category two academy but what we've um, what we've not had is the facilities that are required to be a cat two academy uh, and we're looking at ways in which we can solve that uh, and have those facilities so that we improve the games program because you'll have seen our under under eighteens of are unbeaten this season. I think they've won virtually every game. Um, um, the development squad are doing very well, but but they need that challenge of perhaps tougher opponents um, to allow them uh, to be challenged more and the coaches to be challenged more. So we're looking at ways in which we can move from category three to category two, and it's it's something that can be achieved. It's not overnight, but it can be achieved within a relatively short time scale. Sorry, Darren. Is there, is there any <coughs> um, any sort of plans for your expertise in identifying these late bloomers, as you call them, to try and get some of those in, um, or is that just part of your history that if it comes good, you'll use, or, or is that something that's deliberately planned? I think the the, uh, the primary objective from an academy and what, what we all want to see as fans is local lads coming through playing for the, the team so lads from Wigan or the area coming through I think we've also got a, a wonderful opportunity and uh, an offer to young players in the North West as well because I think Jonathan's highlighted the pathway it's becoming more and more difficult in the Premier League club if you're a young player to play in the Premier League first team because they you know they, they go out and they recruit international players from all over the world so I think Wigan's got a wonderful opportunity to to actually attract players as well um, and, and continue the great work because to have four players like that coming through is, is amazing. Um, there's some really uh, top people already in the academy setup who who look at um, leagues below League Two um, and would be able to demonstrate that they've identified players. So certainly players from from uh, outside the EFL will be, um, you know, that's already something in place and something that's that's um, that's monitored and, and there's some really good guys on on and around that uh, looking to do it already. So yeah, it's what we've talked about, isn't it? So you know, if you, it, what's exciting is that sometimes the players um, they don't have to be a football league do they? We've seen that. Oh. Uh, sponsorship, I mean, sponsorship's one way of raising money, isn't it? Uh, are we going to be looking at any sponsors for the stadium and, and for the shirts? I think uh, we'll have to, yeah. Um, yeah. DW and Mr. Wheeler has been good for so long, haven't they, and mm. supported the club. But, you know, we, and, and obviously there's been other partners in the past, so that's one area where we're, we're looking to really be active and yeah. attract new interest. Because uh, both, both, uh, Contracts are writing somewhere, don't they? So it could be something that we change in next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hope so. With you know, that would provide a welcome 
Right, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, Alan. Yeah, it's building on, you know, because we're, we're, just, we're just talking about revenue streams, and obviously um, this week with the, um, the broadcasting broadcasting deal and obviously the, some of the controversy surrounding it in terms of the um, obviously the length of the deal but also other things about uh, the big concerns about the new sort of uh, behind the red button facility and impact on attendance is that, I don't know if you if you were able to comment on that or say anything about that. So that's a really good question Adam. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately it's difficult for us to comment um, because we've agreed with the other championship clubs and the EFL that that we won't comment uh, except via um, official um, sources. So you might It's a really difficult one because I know it's important to, to supporters how, how you're going to watch the matches and, uh, and and the media rights that are attached to our games. But it, it, and it's, it is a really really interesting uh, situation that's that's developing. But it, um, suffice to say that Wigan Athletic are sat around that table and discussing it with all the other clubs and the EFL. Ticket prices, Bolton, do we have any say on or no, sir? No, it, that, that's down to Bolton Wanderers and, and every other football club mm-hmm. to set their own prices um, in line with the EFL rules uh, and ultimately that, that's, that's the decision of each individual club how much they charge the real estate you have to charge the same for home fans as you do for away fans in, in similar um, uh, accommodation so no we didn't have any say in, yeah, in fair, the ticket fair enough it's just it's a shame nice because that would have been very clear on it you know the, obviously the rivalry and everything like that and it's the first game you look for isn't it Bolton and then Preston and it's a shame that the numbers will be affected because a lot of people saying £35 too much for an old ticket. I mean, we had a discussion the other week, didn't we, with regards to Sheffield United. It's £3 more than what Sheffield United was, but a lot of people on principle are at the moment saying they're not going to that game. I'm sure there'll be a big uptake when it's. Yeah, one of the fundamental I think, values that we've always had with an athletic is value for money. We've always tried to give our ticket prices affordable uh, to allow as many people as possible to watch Wigan Athletic. We've seen that increasing and decreasing the ticket price doesn't have a huge effect on, on the number of people that actually come through the turnstiles but at the same time we want to make sure that as many people as possible yeah. can come and watch us. I suppose going forward you know on ticket prices is that something um, we're looking at keeping you know a competitive uh, season ticket price because it's unbeatable value isn't it for what, what you pay for home games um, but to keep people coming in and building that um, new generation of supporters as well because the youngsters, you know, they're the ones who are, are going to be here when we're not here and take the club forward and you have to balance that with, as you said, talking about income streams making sure that you generate as much revenue as you can for the football club to ensure that you can reinvest that into into players and, 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 and help us to achieve success so it's a real balance as well I suppose with that as well, the success that you know we're all hoping that we become will then grow the crowds, you know, with the crowds that we had in the Premier League, you know, in 19, 20,000, if not more, it all comes, it's a knock on effect, isn't it? So Yeah, a lot of that was away fans. The, the average home crowd at home games over the Premier League era, those eight seasons, was about 15,000 supporters. Since 2013, the average home attendance, not including away fans, is around about 10,000 over, over the five years. So... That you can see, there is, there is a, a drop 
but of course the Premier League brings Premier League clubs and, and attracts yeah. more people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our job um, is to try and increase that, that attendance year on year and, and, and to create an atmosphere that helps the team win games because that's what we're here for. We're here to win football matches. And, and that goes hand Sorry. in hand, doesn't it? You win games, you find your people want to go watching them and it's... Yes. A lot of people, uh, sorry, Gareth, uh, have, have a whine about walk, walk-on prices, don't they? Like they go on the go on the day prices compared to season tickets. I mean, I have a season ticket, so it's fantastic. And I, I never understand the thinking behind that, behind the people mourning. Why, you know, you, you think, just get yourself a season ticket. Because even if they say, oh, well, we were shit, so we might miss the odd game here and there, but still over the course of the season, you're going to be quids in, surely. Uh, you know, but can I just mention that? That game of Bolton, is it category A game? Is that why it's 35 quid? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what, what categories Bolton Wanderers uh, right. have in their ticket prices. I've not, I've not looked at it closely, but as I say, it's up to Bolton too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking because every, every club that plays Leeds United are going to make it out of category A game because they're going to bring so many supporters. And you've got to feel sorry. I don't like feeling sorry for the United supporters, but you've got to do it because they're getting stunned week in, week out. And then we're in the Premier League. You've got this this cap on. Is, is it still on that cap on, on thirty pounds? Thirty pounds. Suppose there's a market for it, though, isn't there? They, they, they sell out every every away game. They probably sell sell double. You know, they've got the I guess like supporters yeah. there's a market. The market will dictate. It's, it's, yeah. it's ripping the fans off again, though, isn't it? You know, I mean, I know it's a different argument than, than what perhaps we're talking about, but it is something that sticks a little bit. Um, you mentioned before about the community and our community trust side of the club is absolutely brilliant and I've been involved with some of the stuff they've done everybody who works for them are fantastic and is that something that the group's going to be supporting as, as we go forward now with the, you know, with the takeover and, and the vision for the future to build that, that keep on building on what we've already got there absolutely it's massively important and um Tom and the team are doing a great job. It's, you know, we've, we've had a couple of meetings already. Uh, been with them today actually, and yeah, it's, it's support and grow. Yeah, Noth- nothing but good things to say about the community. No, it's brilliant. I mean, they're in the rubber the at the moment at Montrose. Aren't they? Yeah. Are you looking to stay there or perhaps move, go where the academy is or something? Uh, or just happy with the facilities? It's, it's more about the, the, the projects that we deliver, I think we've got something like 39 different projects that we're delivering in, in, in the local area and, uh, and it's all about enhancing local lives, creating stronger and safer communities and, and, and creating life chances for people and, and as a football club we're in a really powerful position to do that so uh, to be fair um, we have something like 40 staff at the Community Trust who are out within the community delivering in schools, in all kinds of places and, and so to be honest it's, it's about what we're doing out in the community rather than the, the facilities themselves but yeah. the, 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 uh, the Montreal Skills Hub uh, just down the road from the stadium provides a great base for, 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 the, for the trust. Yeah, it's just I was thinking about Fleetwood Town, I mean they've got the, is it Pool Farm what they, where they are and that's like a community centre as well and, and the community can come in and use it and they have a cafe in there and, and that gets a it's brilliant for the community, but it also gets that connection with the club as well. And I just wonder if that may be some, an avenue that perhaps you could be looking at. Or, or not. It, it's an interesting idea. <laughs> clubs, yeah. clubs do it in different ways. Yeah. There's lots of different ways to do it. Yeah. I was going to say about 
the international side of things, we, you know, obviously the companies do IEC, international entertainment, so with that in mind, being a Far East, Hong Kong based of it, is uh, sort of a knock on effect out there with spreading the word of Wigan Athletics. I'm sure it'll, it'll help and um, football in China's on, on everyone's radar isn't it, so it's, it's a massive area of interest and growth for the, the country, they want to get the national team into the top 50 FIFA rankings as soon as they can um, so it's been well documented as well, there's already fans in Hong Kong because of the men's group, which is fantastic um, and that's power and testimony to the, the the word of football isn't it internationally it's an international language so I think there's definitely got to be some plans in place when the dust settles to, to grow and develop those links as well and um, Hong Kong's a great place to start uh, Any plans on a big screen? Uh, at all? <laughs> <laughs> that's for Dan isn't it? That's for Dan We're looking at ways in which we can improve the, the uh, master experience all the time and we, we see what's happening at other clubs and we, we're exploring those opportunities and that will continue, something we've always done something we'll continue to do and we're, we're abreast of all the, the new developments, technology and, and the big screens, we saw one at, at Middlesbrough if you went to Middlesbrough recently they've had a brand new one installed so again it's just one of the things that, that, that we're looking at and, uh, and if, it, if it's something that benefits the football club we'll, we'll look at uh, ways in which we can uh, we can perhaps introduce things like that. Is there any uh, rear, well, any anything going to happen with any spray paint on any walls inside the ground that isn't uh, Wigan <laughs> Warriors based? I mean, they do look good, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I think they look spot on. But yeah. explain what you mean. Well, the, the, the Wigan Warriors uh, kit launch, obviously, in Southland, they've had the um, sp- uh, spray paint artists in doing uh, some murals. I think they look really good. Um, is there anything like that going to be done, obviously? Cause Ground share, and um, I saw I saw on social media today people asking that question. Uh, so I thought let's bring it to yourselves. Things being done in terms of something similar for for the well, like Max Power all did a flood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. But uh, you know, it's, it because obviously there's a lot of branding and um, inside the ground, and it is great. You know, looking at past past players and our, our history. Obviously, the Warriors have got something up there and that's a bit different and a bit quirky, is that something that we're going to look at doing or do we stick with what we know works? And As I understand it, I think that was just for the kit launch, oh, for, right. the, for the Warriors kit launch, so it's something that isn't there permanently. I'm sure you'll find out Saturday if it is. Only in the virtual world. <laughs> but we, we've, we've actually just had some uh, branding that the tunnel area uh, and, and the media area um, in, in the stadium has just been uh, rebranded. Uh, as a permanent dual branding and, and, it, and it looks great actually it celebrates the successes of Wigan Athletic and Wigan Warriors uh, and inspires the players as they walk out the tunnel I think it looks really, really good in the past we've had to put our branding open and take it down when there's a Warriors game and, and that you know, you, you, not only does it create work but it's, it begins to, to, to get a little bit worn and torn after a while and, and this is a permanent uh, design that, that I think was really good, and, and so hopefully supporters will see that on, on, oh, on things like stadium tours. Just say to come in there once it's all completed, we will be doing galleries of it. And obviously, people will be welcome to come and look around it as well. Oh. It's not quite finished yet. We've got some nice little finishing touches to put to it as well. So, I say tunnel cam 
It'll be a, a great one to see as well. Just, um, <laughs> yeah, LinkedIn, because we were just talking about match day experience, and I guess a couple of things that have been sort of on the general, uh, sort of national agenda recently have been um, safe standing and um, alcohol in the in the viewing area at uh, football matches. I'm just wondering, really, is kind of uh, fans first of all, what your view is on that? Uh, if maybe not, I don't know what the club's position would be on it in terms of safe standing and alcohol in the viewing area yeah I think it's it's, um, it's happened for well documented reasons in this country um, in other sports it's different and abroad it's different and I think the authorities will make a, a decision if they have to on, on that based on, on the evidence and research they've got so it's we're in the hands of them really aren't we I mean, the I'll, say, um, I'll be happy with the safe stand but I'm not sure about the alcohol and the uh, seats because I can imagine in a more passionate moment you'd start getting covered in alcohol <laughs> I, get covered. I, get co- I get covered in coffee I'm, I'm just thinking of the, uh, the World Cup experience yeah. and when you're watching it in bars and stuff and I'm just thinking that's probably why it was maybe brought in in the first place my, my view for what it's worth is it, it's just, it I think it's just so many anomalies about what you can and what you, from a reg, obviously regulatory perspective, what you can and can't do. The fact that you can obviously drink beer on the concourse, it encourages people to drink very quickly uh, to get to get up there for the for the for the match. Uh, you're obviously allowed to drink before the match, but not in the viewing area. Whereas you could be in one, you can be in the same stadium having having a drink at a, at a rugby match, but not at a, not at a football match, and doesn't doesn't spoil my experience when I go watching cricket. Mm-hmm. I think b- both issues are live issues that are yeah. being discussed mm-hmm. and explored by the EFL and, and the Premier League and, and there are experiments in terms of safe standing at places like Shrewsbury Town uh, that have been looked at closely uh, and Scotland we'll, as well yeah, yeah. And, and we'll see what happens is it actually would it be, would it be relatively easy to do or would it, would it in terms of actually putting the rails standing in or practical I think it's, I think it's difficult when you see the, the, the stadiums in the, in the 70s and 80s when they were standing, when you see the stadiums now, which are yeah. much more comfortable, uh, all-seater stadiums, it seems, it seems strange then to start talking about installing uh, safe standing in, in, in all-seater stadiums. But again, it's, we're open-minded on it, and I think it, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. And ultimately, the, the, the supporters will decide, because the supporters... Are the ones that, that that experience that, and, and it's it's all about creating the right environment to, to watch football matches. It's a lot yeah. colder when you sat down. <laughs> <laughs> it's in, the, in the dead of winter, being stood up, especially like when you know you go to a away game, you, you stand up. Being a little bit old, never as cold. I appreciate being able to sit down. <laughs> See, and, and, that, and just, just <laughs> yeah. around this table, there's, there's different arguments yeah. for uh, yeah. for for and against these things, and and I, and I think you've got to take all that into consideration when. It's not just who, sh- who shouts the loudest, it's making sure that people do the, the things for the right reasons and I think, as I say, all football clubs are, are looking at these issues with the, with the regulatory bodies. For me, safe standing, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of it because I like the proper terrace where you're standing and that's, that for me is the standing. And that's well, like Jonathan was saying, the difference between the grounds of the 70s and the grounds of now, the, the rake of the concrete is completely different, I isn't s- it? But then, but then I said it last, sorry, yeah. I said it last time. Came in. We had this debate once before during the podcast, and near where I sit, there was a chap coming down the steps, and he fell and injured himself. And we had paramedics and all manner of things right. I'm sorry, I want to stay in seats. After seeing that chap, mm. I don't want to see it again. Mm. Yeah. 
think a mix would be the better part Possibly, yeah. Yeah, well, as a former firefighter, you can't be sitting down. Yeah, just need your snooker table, don't you? It's a healthy debate. Yeah, right. it's a healthy <laughs> <laughs> Can I come in with a, a, a nasty question? As somebody that's just taken over a business that's losing money um, on a systematic manner, um, what do you change or how long do you allow it to go on with some investment until, you know, to, to see where it takes us and hopefully take us up and, and increase the income? So what's the, what's the question? Um, well, what do you change to try and address that deficit that, that Mr. Whelan's been supporting for like years? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question, and a lot of the answers are already in the organisation, aren't they? And, and um, we've talked about a lot of the things tonight. Academy, you know, instead of buying players um, and investing huge amounts in in, in buying players, you know, developing our own um, is really important, not just. From a local perspective, but also because of um, you know the way that the team plays, you can get players to play a certain way. So that, that's one area: player, player development, and player recruitment is a is a, is a key one. Um, and also, I think Jonathan's already highlighted you know around various a- areas to look at commercially. You asked the question around sponsorship as well. So there's certainly those income streams to focus on. Um, how long? Um, I think there's a there's, is a really good question. Um, I think everybody in the championship wants to believe and wants to try and get in the Premier League, don't they? Who wouldn't want to? And, and then it's a different scenario. So I think that's the that's, that's the key to look at uh, play recruitment, play development, and the the, the revenue streams to, to increase revenue. Because yeah, I, I mean, I look at going back two, three years when we got to Christmas and we were looking bleak and there was an awful lot of players shipped out and for me that was I don't know if you could perhaps confirm that now that we're enough water under the bridge that was very much business decision driving the football decisions um, and, and at some point if your football isn't successful enough the business decisions do start taking over again um, Sometimes, some, sometimes it, it works like that. I think, I think the time that you're talking about was probably 2014, uh, 14, 15 season, uh, yeah. and and we were in the bottom three in January, and so that we we felt that we had to do something to try to improve the team's performance, but at the same time, financially, we were also looking at um, the fact that we only had two years parachute payments left. A relegation to League One um, was a possibility. We had players on on higher contracts than than perhaps were sustainable in League One, so we had to look at the way in which we could manage all those challenges uh, and try and find the best solution that we could. Yeah, I, I, and at the same time, you, you also have players that potentially didn't want to play for Wigan Athletic anymore, and we're looking at, at, at ways in which to to move on, uh, and that's that's. Absolutely natural and a you know a reasonable uh, decision on their part, but it, it looked and I know it was it was uh, commented on that it looked like it was a fire sale and, and I never liked that 
I never liked that. Oh, no, I wasn't. Yeah. wasn't but but I, 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 I support what you did because you know we could see that it was looking necessary uh, for all the reasons that you've just given us, um, and that comes down to sentiment at that point, doesn't it? You think the direction is downwards, therefore you're preparing for downwards. At the moment, we think the direction is upwards. And if the direction isn't upwards, how long do we give it before we start losing that sentiment? Is, is really where the. Yeah, if you look at that team, just going back to that, yeah. that transfer window, you look, look at that team. We brought in um, Harry Maguire. Yeah, he's not bad enough. He was a class above everybody around him at the you time. Think yeah. Yeah. I was saying this, it's going to say the same. It's yeah. really about the quality yeah. of players. Yeah. Yeah. Chris was in the same. Chris, yeah, he Murphy, was hard done too. We had Murphy. Leon Clark. Leon Clark, who's yeah. doing very well yeah. now. Gaetan Bong, who's, who's a Premier League player. And then the, the players that were retained, people like Scott Carson and James Perch and James McLean, we're a pretty good side there. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, even despite the changes that we made, we still got relegated. Like, like Harley's and others. Yeah, yeah. So he could have kept us up that It wasn't a resignation, was it? Absolutely it was, it was not. A team we, that should have, on paper, stayed up. Yeah, we were, we were doing everything that we could, both the, the, the football management team and. and uh, the board of directors to keep Wigan Athletic in the Championship because that's you know, to, to ensure that you're only one season away from the Premier League you've got to be in the Championship so there were interesting challenging times and you, you, you look back on those times and you reflect and you, you learn from them as well and, and, and I think the club is stronger as a result of those challenges yes. and, and so I think as well if you fast forwarded two years to the, the last time in the Championship uh, I think that was a, an absolute stroke of genius for the long term in the January of that year when obviously we got the, the Yannick Wilchip money in, you know, which was I guess that was like a parachute wasn't it yeah, and, and transfer windows are difficult to predict you have mm. to as, as Darren has, has, has quite rightly said Player recruitment drives the whole football club. If you if you bring the right players to the football club, not only do you win more football matches, but they develop and, uh, as assets, and other clubs want to buy those players. And you can't predict when those offers will come in for other clubs, and when when you have to sell those players for the right reasons, because the player wants to go, or because the, it's the right valuation, or, or for whatever reason. Uh, and those things are difficult to predict and certainly Yannick being sold to Norwich was not something that we wanted to do but something that the player wanted to do and, and, and at the time was the right thing to do because, because of the money involved So the question how long has the current player identification team if that's the right phrase been in place because then we can start looking at who they've identified and we've picked up and to whether or not they like them to be, uh, <laughs> to be fair Paul, Paul Cook has been responsible for um, moulding the, the, the way that we uh, identify players and bring players into the club since he joined, really. Uh, we're looking at, at ways in which we can help uh, and, and change the way that we do things, to improve things, to help Paul bring players to the club. Uh, but it's got to be collaborative, it's got to be for the right reasons for now, it's got to be the right reasons for next season and the season after, and making sure that the academy, there's a pathway for young players that we're not blocking that and ensuring that we get the results that we need now but also we're building a squad for the, for the season and all those things sometimes are, are competing against each other when we're looking in the transfer market, we've also got to make sure that it, it, it it's aligned to our budget and our, our financial model 
uh, and our objectives. So all those things combined. So it's not it's not a, a, an easy answer to, to your question, but it, it's something that's, that's that, that all football clubs are, are wrestling with. How do you how do you ensure that you're ahead of the game when you're trying to buy players mm. and identify players is, is absolutely key. Well, there's, there's just two sides to that. Isn't there? There's identifying players that others have misjudged is, is the absolute key. Um, and then and I, I'll, I'll deliberately tiptoe around this and not put you in the position because the thing with budgets if somebody not, if you've got a big budget you then are able to procure perhaps more players than you would be if you had a smaller budget so your choice becomes wider which perhaps means that maybe because you've got a wider choice you don't have to be quite as well, the price as, as, as well. diligent <laughs> yeah and the price has changed so it's just yeah, I, I mean, like I say, I think it, there's, there's a lot of aspects that all feed into it, like you say. I might say I won't, I won't ask any questions about budgets. It's okay with Reese James, that, that was, you know, that was a win-win-win, wasn't it? Yeah. Can we keep him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Forever. Forever, yeah. <laughs> he's... he's, he's a very, very impressive player at 18. I think on the first training session that we got him in, we we realised that how good a player he was. And any player at that age at a top Premier League club is going to be good. We didn't realise how how, Reece, how good Reese is and 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 how good he's going to be. Uh, that will be interesting to see. Uh, but I think we're, we're very lucky to have Reese at the football club. Again, it, it, it's it, it's um, it's great that we can attract players like that because there was a, cl- a lot of clubs that were interested in Rhys James. Um, not not a lot of people had heard of him. Uh, probably, you know, around this table, I bet not many people had heard yeah. of Rhys James. Yeah, I think we all thought we'd yeah. re- re-sign the one that had just Rhys James. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to the first podcast of the season, though, when I when we were <laughs> predicting the the star performers the, from the loans into the championship, and I oh, said, I oh, said oh. Rhys James. Fair enough. So, with, with loan players like that, young loan players, how often do you get them on loan like that, expecting them to come and develop with us for 12 months, add to our squad for that 12 months, and then go back to the parent club? And how often do you expect them to, maybe they are a transfer target and get them in on loans, stage one, if you want to that phrase? It all depends on... on where they're coming from, whether it's the Premier League. If they're coming from the Premier League, it's very difficult for Wigan Athletic right now to buy those players because right. the, the price of, of, a, of a, a young Premier League player is, 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 uh, is very high. So, but there are situations where perhaps you can loan a player and then he becomes your player and then ultimately the best transfers are the ones, the best players are the ones that you own because you are developing mm. your own players and your own assets. Uh, and they they're, they're helping you over a, a two, three, four year period rather than six months or twelve months. But at the same time, to supplement your own players to bring in the quality that you can do from the Premier League, they don't all work. Of course, we've seen some players that haven't worked, some players that haven't played for us as, on, on loan, especially first loans for a player's first loan is is is, is always um, uh, more risky than than a player that's been out there and played in league football. Uh, but, but each play is different, each deal is different, and, and there's certainly a, a, a huge pool of talent at under 21s, under 23s level in the Premier League. 
that need league football and the championship and league one are, are, are places where they're finding that experience it's just like our players like Callum Lang going out and, and, and the others that have to get that experience is there any, with that in mind is like uh, Geldas do you think we'll be sending him out anytime soon or I think we'll be taking the advice of, of, of the experienced football people within within our business people like Gregory Oak and, and, uh, and Paul Cook and, uh, and Joe Royal to make sure that we maximise the, the opportunities for those players yeah. and, and make sure that their career path is absolutely right for them you don't want to you know you don't want to put them into league football before they're ready but at the same time you've got to make sure that they are challenged at every stage of their career so yeah. that we know how good they are and it's like you said before we're playing against the teams who were playing against last year and then playing against better teams because I read something again on the website about the centre-backs have never been put under any pressure last year so they've, they've, they've rejoined the Central League is it the Central League yes. to, to give them that experience but like Victor Mafio is it, I've seen him play is it good yeah. play, but you need to know how, how good he's going to be against men don't you and giving that experience and toughen them, toughen them up a bit but it's great to see players like Callum Lang. I mean, he, to see him the way he's played, he developed more from last year. It looks like he's, he's stepped up another gear this year. He's uh, he plays with arrogance. He reminds me of like a poor man's Nick Powell, shall I say? He's got that sort of swagger about him. Uh, maybe not a poor man's Nick Powell, just a younger Nick Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's really good as supporters of the club to see these younger players go and do as well as they are doing you know so as a fan as a supporter it's not ooh, they should be pushing for first team it's good to see them getting that experience so that they do become ready from a fan's perspective as well it's nice that the, you know we constantly get the, up, the updates and we, we can technically follow it our, ourselves but you know the weekly sort of website updates and what they're doing and how they're playing and how many minutes they're playing and they've yeah. scored goals which I think is, is good that they're not gone and forgotten no, yeah, that's, that's, that's all down to our excellent media team. Because yeah. I forgot the fancy calls, one of our players. That's why I brought you to it. They're all right, that media team. <laughs> the podcast is okay as well. But what, what you've talked about there is to try and um, support and grow that and to get more fans out there um, and get the right development pathway in place. So Gregor and his team have done a fantastic job. Really exciting with the four lads coming through internationally, and it's it's about how can we assist that because that's really important for Wigan Athletic, the academy, and local players in growing up. I think since he's come to the club, we've we've seen you know as we can we can put the outside into that we've seen as all the qualities improved within that academy. That like you know he came with a reputation, didn't he, uh, Gregory? And it's it's uh, you know he's. He's showing why he's earned his, that reputation. Yeah, he, he had a great reputation of producing young players at Coventry, Coventry, Coventry yeah. City. One of whom was uh, Callum Wilson, who, who scored on his England debut yeah, for, yeah. for England. Uh, I think that was a, a proud moment for Gregor because he remembers him as a, a 14-year-old at Coventry City. So he did come with a great reputation. It's not something that he's going to come in and overnight produce players. It, it, we knew that it was a, a five to ten-year project because actually the players that are coming through now were 12, 13 when, when Gregor came in so it takes a long time to, to develop those players to, to improve them to ensure that they're, they're learning life skills as well as, as footballers um, and to, to, to ensure that they've got enough coaching and they know how to play in, a, in the right way for working athletic 
by the time they get to 18, 19, so they're ready for the first team. So, yeah, Craig's done a great job, plus all the staff that are there uh, in, in preparing these young players. And now, you know, who knows what the future holds for them, but uh, we'll, we'll do the right things to give them every chance to be to be football players. Brilliant. Uh, just before we finish, is there any, um, any fans forums coming up, or have we thought about that, you know? Yeah, we, we, we knew that during the, the, the transitional uh, period and, and, and the change of ownership, which has taken longer than we anticipated, has meant that it wasn't the right time to do fans forum. But now we've, we're, we're, we've, we've uh, com- completed that change of ownership. We'll be looking at, at, at holding a fans forum in the near future. And uh, one final one from me. Um, are we going back to straps next year? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, we, I think we have to are we a strap it or are we, are we a plane <laughs> well we, we can be both can't we Ooh, <laughs> you see and, and again that's something that you, you can't please everybody some people like the stripes some people like it was a football league club with stripes aren't we? We no was, always <coughs> not always uh, 1978 we were stripes that was our first season that's what I mean yeah was, that was the yeah. only time we, that was but, the first time we wore them but then we've been playing blue an awful lot as well yeah we've been we've been, we've been red we, we originally we were in red in, yeah. in 1932 yeah. uh, we, we won the Epic we Cup semi, <laughs> semi-final in red yeah, yeah it, the, the kit is something that we actually started looking at about three months ago for next season if so. you ever want any fans to have an input you know we're, yeah. we can draw idea. it for you <laughs> <laughs> Adam's still got his crayon so we'll get it through <laughs> <laughs> Puma will be uh, making the kits for us next season and, and uh, is it a three year deal with them or is it a three year deal three it's nice, yeah, it's good quality well, as well. Let's get this right. We've got the chief and executive and um and the executive. I knew it wasn't quite German. German and Barry's banging on about <laughs> arguing with Jonathan about kiss. Well that's your job. It's very important. Kit's very important. It's our identity, isn't it? Yeah. And I think this season is for the larger gentleman. It fits better than last season's. Last season's was painted on this season. Cabo's style was was a, a tighter fit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Puma's style is slightly different. We so. could tell Cap are Italian and then Puma are, are German. So the away kit's got some stick this season, hasn't it? Linked to our away form. <laughs> I, I, yeah, uh, but we've been playing in blue. And that's yeah. what makes the kit. It's not. It's not what. The slight nuances in style, it's the results you get wearing it. I always like a black away kit, but we've always done quite well in it, so, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, the bright orange one in, in yeah. 2010. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> didn't go down well, did it? really like it. I did like the dark blue one with the bright <laughs> yellow and greeny bits. <laughs> Oh. I always associate it with James McCarthy. Yeah, I know the one Yeah, yeah. Darren, are you looking forward to taking your seat up in the, the Royal Box for once of a better phrase <laughs> on Saturday <laughs> in that front seat? I suppose you'll be, oh, I'm presuming you'll be in that front seat. Uh, yeah, it's, it, well, we we obviously sat together, didn't we, at Middlesbrough, and it was a bit of a surreal experience, to be honest. It was a great honour. and. Um, We've been that busy, we haven't really put that much thought into Saturday yet, but really looking forward to it. Obviously, hope the right results there. Um, and uh, yeah, no, again, it'll be, you know, it's, it's a privilege to, to do that, so I'm looking forward to it. 
Well, Melvin be coming along, do you think? Not Saturday? Not Saturday, no. no. And, and going back to what we said before about the going on the pitch and stuff, the guys are, 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 are very conservative and what they're yeah. really keen to have is success on the pitch and, yeah. and not to be... Not flashed. Yeah, flashed absolutely. Yeah. So it's that's more important for them yeah. that, that they get it right there and, and obviously Paul's the, the, uh, the leader from a football perspective yeah. managing the club. Yeah, so it's interesting times and it's exciting times. You know, we've said that on the podcast that the future's looks bright, doesn't it, from the outset? And where all of us behind the table are, are behind what's going forward. And excited, I think it is. Yeah, we've got to we do it together as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everybody's trying to do the best thing, aren't they? Yeah. No. Well, thank you very much for coming on this evening. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much.